Be seated. If you have your Bibles with you this evening, let's go ahead and um, open them up and let's turn to Mark chapter 14 as we continue on here um, in the last days of Jesus as recorded in the book of Mark. And tonight we're going to be taking a look at a passage that is actually set up um, in in a manner that describes how the religious leaders respond to Jesus and they actually sort of miss what it is that he came here for. And they're really upset and they're angry at him. And then we see a woman who actually understands what Jesus came here to accomplish. And then we have the disciples who remain really confused, as we've seen throughout the book of Mark. And then we have Judas, who seems a little less confused, but is one who ends up betraying Jesus. So let's take a look at chapter 14, and I'm going to read um, verses 1 through 11. It says this, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at table, a woman Uh, While he was reclining reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who is one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Let's pray. Our God, we need your Holy Spirit to enlighten your word to us, to open up our hearts so that we are willing to receive what you have for us. Allow us to see clearly the gospel this evening, to see what it is that Jesus came here to do so that we can leave here people who've been transformed by that good news. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever voted for a political candidate that you were really excited about? Because this candidate really promised that, that they could deliver. And you believed him. You believed that they could really deliver the change that needed to happen And at the end of the term, you realize they didn't deliver on any one of those promises that they made. They didn't bring a single one of those changes that you felt like needed to happen. Maybe you thought that they were really going to clean up this district or really change this city or this county or this country. You voted for them, but they let you down. Has ever happened to anybody? 
No, me neither. <laughs> All my candidates are just fine. The kid. But this is why we vote in America for, poli for politicians, isn't it? We believe that they're going to be the ones who can make the difference. And, and they're, we believe that they're ultimately they're the ones who are going to make where we live the way that we believe things ought to be. Right? So I think, oh my goodness, this is the vision I have for my city. And that's the candidate who can deliver. Let's put them into office. That's the whole reason we vote. But because, of course, the way I think things should be is that's the way that everyone should think the way that things should be. And therefore, I think that I should win because, of course, it's my ideology and that's what should win out because it's the best because I am the one who thinks it. The problem isn't with the way I think, right? The problem is with the way that everyone else thinks. It's, I'm not a part of the problem. I'm a part of the solution. So I'm going to go ahead and vote in the solution. You guys, you see what's going on is this is exactly the way that the disciples were thinking. Daniel actually talked a lot about this on, on Sunday for Palm Sunday. This is exactly what they were thinking. They thought that Jesus was surely the Messiah who was going to come in and overthrow the entire political establishment in order that their way might be the way that prevails. Because surely they weren't the problem. But those other people, those people over there, those people out there, and the way that they structured things, the way that that government structured things, they were the problem. They just needed a leader to come in and clean things up. And because this was at the forefront of the minds of the disciples, it caused them to miss the main point of Jesus. It caused them to miss what he said when he actually said he came to do what the Messiah ought to do, which is to be delivered up and to die for the sins of the world. You see, death was not the disciples' idea of victory. And it seems like a strange thing that the disciples kept missing the message of Jesus because he said it a lot. He said, I'm coming to die. That's how this is going to end. And they, their reaction was sort of like, ah, oh, no, no, you're, you're going to be good. No, no, we're, we're going to conquer. We're going to do it. It's easy for us to remember what Jesus was saying because all we have to do is just flip back a few pages, right? We got to just go back to Mark chapter 9, for example. Jesus says this, as they were coming down from, from the mountain after the mountain of, of transfiguration, Jesus said, um, I want you to tell no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And so the disciples are marveling at this, at this and they're thinking, man, my goodness, what does he mean by until the Son of Man must be risen from the dead? That, that can't be literal. So, because that means that this guy would have to die and he's supposed to be the one who sets us free and, and begins this, this revolution that, that overthrows the establishment. And so they're, they're perplexed by that. But Jesus just said it plainly. But then he says also in the same chapter, in chapter 9 in verses 30 and 32, he says, uh, the Son of Man, in verse 31, he says, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. But then the disciples... They did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. So here's Jesus 
he says he's the one who's the Son of Man, and then he tells them very plainly the plan for the Son of Man, that he's going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they're going to kill him. And the disciples are confused. You see, the chief priests, the scribes, the disciples, and Judas, in our passage, they're all missing the point of what Jesus has come to do because they fail to see their own need of being saved. And this is because they didn't see themselves as a part of the problem. Instead, they think they are part of the solution to the problem. Their way to victory is the best way, of course. And Jesus has corrected their view over and over again in the book of Mark. In fact, he also says in Mark chapter 8, verse 32, he says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. There he says it very plainly again. And we see right away in our passage the response of the chief priests and the scribes to Jesus. They don't believe that he is the Messiah at all. They have completely missed the point of what he said about himself and what he did through healings and signs and wonders. So instead of embracing Jesus, they seek to devise a plan to have him arrested and killed. And so Mark chapter 14, verse 1 through 2 says, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. They're seeking to kill him. But then we have this woman who understands the plan of Jesus. She's heard what he's been saying, and she understands. The end is going to be him going to his death. And so here's what she does. She anoints him with perfume. So if you take a look at verse 3, it says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, of pure nard, very cost, costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. You see, Jesus plans on dying for the sins of his people in order to reconcile them to God. And the person in this passage who has been listening to Jesus and hearing is the one who understands. It's this unnamed woman. She gets it. She believed Jesus when he said in Mark chapter 8, verse 32, when he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. She gets that. So she comes to Jesus with a jar of perfume and she pours it over his head right there in front of the guests at Simon the leper's house. Do you see this picture? According to this passage, we see that this perfume was very expensive. 300 denarii. That's a year's worth of salary. An entire year's salary poured out in that moment. That's really expensive. Just think about that for a moment. We live in a pretty wealthy society. 
Imagine someone bringing an entire salary's, year salary worth of perfume and just dumping it out on somebody. That is weird. And it's kind of annoying to the disciples. Because what's going on is this was not only an expensive bottle of perfume, but it also had an aroma. It smelled. It didn't smell bad, probably not, but this aroma in particular was actually something that was used to preserve a dead body and prepare that body for burial. That is what this perfume was for. And it's interesting that the word used here in this passage is anointed. Because this woman anointed Jesus with this perfume. This word had been customarily associated with anointing a king. So the disciples, if you, you hear that word, and you're like, oh yeah, anoint with oil in, in some sort of ceremonial way. You're thinking, you're thinking David, right? A victorious king. That's okay, here we go. This is the moment, right? But no. They recognize what's going on, and it's a different type of anointing. It's not an anointing for a victorious king in the way that they thought. It's actually an anointing that is preparing Jesus for his burial. This woman, she gets it. And what she does makes the people who were present, which also included the, the disciples, it makes them angry. Because they recognized that this perfume was expensive and they were perplexed as to why this expensive burial perfume was being used here on Jesus in this moment. What is going on? And so verse 4 explains, There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. And so once again, we have a moment in Mark where Jesus corrects the disciples. He corrects them because he wants them to see that the problem with this world was so much greater than anything that they could ever even imagine. And the problem with this world was not some other people out there, but that they were a part of the problem. They were the contributors to the problem. The problem is sin inside of the disciples. The problem is sin inside of the chief priest, inside of Judas, and sin inside this woman. And the problem isn't out there, but it's right here. And the problem is much greater than they can ever even imagine or dream of. That is why Jesus tells them in verse 6, he says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. So Jesus is not telling them to not take care of the poor. That's not what he's doing. What he's, the point that he's making here is that, yes, the poor, that's a problem. But you need to see the greater problem and the solution that I'm about to offer is much greater than the problem of 
the poor. And of course, we want to be a people who do all we can to alleviate poverty in our society. We don't like poverty. And it was actually a pressing issue in Jesus' day. And, and by the way, the heart of Jesus is to take care of the poor. So the suggestion of the disciples to sell the perfume and give the proceeds to the poor, it's not a bad suggestion. And it is actually something that seems to be out of good condition, uh, intentions. But Jesus does not want them to miss seeing the gravity of what he is about to do because he is about to die in order to atone for their sins. So he affirms what this woman does in verse 8. He says this, She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. The woman gets it. She is demonstrating that she understands this aspect of the kingdom of God. She has heard the words of Jesus and the words that he has proclaimed, and she understands that the kingdom of God is not... A political victory. It doesn't come in glory, but it comes through death. Death on a cross. This anointing of Jesus, it isn't a kingly anointing in the way that the disciples understood what a kingly anointing was. He isn't being anointed with the type of oil that the king would have. You know, the king who's anointed, who's promising a victorious life for his subjects... That's not the type of anointing that's going on. But the type of anointing that's going on here is that of a burial. Because this king, this king is a king who lays down his life. And Jesus is very aware that he is going to his death very soon. And so the woman responds to Jesus by anointing him with expensive perfume. The disciples respond to Jesus with confusion. And then we have Judas, who responds to Jesus by betraying him. So let's take a look at verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. So verses 10 through 11 is the answer to the very beginning of our text. Do you remember this at the beginning? Because this is how our text begins in verse 1 and 2. It says, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast let there be an uproar from the people. You see, the religious leaders, they realized that they had a conundrum because at this point, Jesus is really well known. And they couldn't possibly move forward with arresting him without some sort of attention. And to make matters worse, during Passover, you had lots of Jews from all around Judea coming to Jerusalem to participate in Passover altogether. So, I mean, they're camping outside of the city. They're all over the place. And so what the, the um, chief priest recognized in this moment 
if we stir an uproar with our people, the Roman government is really going to have a hard time with us. They're going to take away, we risk taking away some of our religious freedoms. We're not going to be able to freely participate and observe Passover in the way that we do if we cause an uproar. So the chief priests, they are aware of this. They don't want problems. And that is why they are devising a secret plan that needs to be stealth in order to arrest Jesus. And this is where Judas comes in. He goes and he helps the, the religious leaders and he betrays Jesus to them. And I'm not going to say too much about this because you're going to hear more about this from Reed tomorrow when Reed preaches. But I do need to mention that Jesus knows this betrayal is happening. He knows that. And again, we're going to get more into that tomorrow. He knows it's coming. He knows it. And it doesn't for a moment stop him from fulfilling this plan of suffering on the cross in order to atone for our sins. So to hear more about Judas' betrayal and, and how that played out and the ending of that, come on tomorrow, or you can read ahead. But I do need to say that Judas hears the words of Jesus throughout all the book of Mark. As he was one of the 12 disciples, he surely was listening to all these teachings, and he himself fails to, heal the, to heed the words of Jesus when Jesus, is, when Jesus himself is describing our greatest need which is for Jesus to die for our sins. Our greatest need. And Jesus wants his disciples to understand this. Our greatest need is to be reconciled to a holy God. Not for our plan of how our own plan of what the earth should be like. Not for that to win and flourish. Not for our political agenda to win not for the disciples political agenda to win but for us to be reconciled to god that's our greatest need and so jesus so judas betrays jesus because he totally misses that and because of what the disciples included including G, uh, judas what they were ex expecting uh what they were expecting from jesus um i could see how this is a big disappointment to them can't you? Kind of like being disappointed in a, in a politician. And, and I'm, it's one of those things where you recognize, I can resonate with that because I'm not getting what I expected. Sometimes in my own life, when I find myself missing what it is the work of Jesus is and what it is that he came to accomplish, I find myself disappointed. I mean, think about it. There's still poverty. There's still violence. There's still pain, suffering, death. I want this world to be overturned and for all those things to just disappear. That's what I want. So I can resonate with the disappointment of the disciples. Because I find myself wanting justice for all those evil people out there. Them. Those people who are the problem. I want a leader who is going to come and fix all their problems so I can get what I want. But then I'm reminded through this passage that the problem of sin in this world isn't only 
you guys. It's not only them out there. But guys, I'm a contributor to this problem. And I need a savior to die for me. I need a savior to die for my sins and atone for my sins so that I can be in a right relationship with a holy God. So don't miss it. Don't miss the importance of what Jesus has done for you. He is indeed king. And he is a good king who we look forward to the day that he will return and make all things right and bring perfect justice on the earth. That is true. But his victory, remember, his victory doesn't always look the way we want it to. He is a king who laid down his life. And he did so to save you. And he did so to save me. And he also did so to save them out there. So put your faith in Jesus. Be reminded that your faith is in Jesus. Believe that you are a sinner who has broken the law of God. And you are someone who needs this death of Jesus, where he is going. And where we're going to talk more about tomorrow night and on Friday. So would you join me as we pray? Our God, continue to teach us. Continue to show us how good you are, how amazing your grace truly is. Lord, give us eyes to see you and behold you in your words so that we don't become a people who miss it. We don't want to miss it. We want to behold you in all your glory and see your humility and marvel at your humility and the fact that you came as a good king, creator of the world, you humbled yourself and came in flesh knowing that you were going to the cross to atone for our sins. Teach us to marvel at that truth. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we respond and sing.